Well, here we are, a new year, 2018. It's crazy, right? Now, I want to know how many of you have New Year's resolutions. Show of hands, how many have done that? Okay, only a few of you. Interesting. The rest of you are liars. No, just kidding. (laughs) All right, so those of you who have made resolutions, um, how many of you have already in some way broken those resolutions? Let me see that hand. Only one honest person. Okay. Um, How many of you who made resolutions and who uh, have broken them in past times have decided that's the reason you didn't make them this year? Let Let me see those hands. Aha! There we go. Two hands up in the back. I see those hands. Yeah, that's what we do, isn't it, as Americans? Uh, primarily, I mean, it's, it's a worldwide thing, but it's really American to do this, uh, to do the New Year's resolution thing. You know, we, we write out this list of all these different things and, and sometimes maybe just a couple things that are massive and major and we really try our best. We give it our all and we're, we're hopeful that we're going to, you know, keep it this year. And inevitably, whether it's early on or down the road, we fail, right? That's what we do. That's what New Year's resolutions are really all about. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong or bad with making New Year's resolutions or setting goals. That's not my point. It's fine. But I think a lot of the reason why we don't, you know, keep those, why we're not as successful as we might want to be, uh, is primarily because we either add too much, you know, we try to do too many things all at once, or we try to do too big of a thing or too massive of a change all at once. And it ends up causing us to fail. So what I want us to do this year is I want us to all take a step back, simplify our approach. I want us to think about what needs to happen or what we want to happen in our spiritual lives this year. I want us to evaluate what needs to happen in our walk with God. What needs to happen in our life with Christ. What are those things that can be changed and should be changed? And that's what I want our focus to be. And to do that, and to do that well, I really believe we have to go back to the basics, as it were. Because a lot of times, in order to go forward well with sustained momentum, we have to first go back. And remember some basic things. That's especially true of the Christian life. So rather than all kinds of different things that I'm going to throw at you, I want us to narrow in this series, I want us to narrow our focus to three major areas to think about and to be intentional about in our walk with God and our life with Christ. Three major areas that that I want us to focus on and resolve to work toward, resolve to give our attention to, our energy to. And the first thing I want you to do as we start off with this series, the first thing I want all of us to do is to remember you've been made new. Remember you've been made new. If you are in Jesus Christ, if He is your Lord and Savior, you've committed your life to Him, then the good news for you, Christian, is that He has made you completely, utterly new. That's really good news. You should be a little bit more excited about that than you are. Because that's not something that's just related to New Year's Eve. That's not just something that happens when the ball drops once a year. If you are in Christ Jesus this morning, if you belong to Him, 
then you are a new creation. And that's not just a one-time deal. That's continual. That's every day. That's moment by moment. He's making you new. Are you thankful for that? Just a little bit? Come on. I'm, I'm very thankful for that. I need that truth in my life. I need to know that there is someone making me new moment by moment. And I have that promise. I have that reality in and through Jesus. And I hope you do too. I sincerely hope you do. So often we have, though, a wrong mindset in regard to what it means to be made new in Christ. We might, we might hear that and accept that and say, yep, that's right, I agree with that. But so often we have the wrong mindset related to it. It's easy to treat that concept, that wonderful reality, um, like one of Apple's regular software updates. You know what I'm talking about? You know, iPhone, whatever, whatever iDevice you might have. Um, man, it seems like to me since October, when the new software was released, it's like every month there's a new update. You know, I look down at my phone, there's that little exclamation mark under my settings, you know what I mean? And it says, update, a new software update is, is available. And so it's, you know, 1.1, then 1.2, 1.3, and it's just on and on and on. Now, uh, you've probably heard about it. It's been all over the news. It's been on CNN and stuff that there were chip malfunctions that made every single Apple device finally susceptible to weakness. It hasn't happened really yet uh, until this point. And now, because of the chip malfunctions, there's these mandatory updates for all devices. So there's going to be yet another update. And I, I get really tired of that. Because it's like, I thought I was good. I thought what I had was enough. And then there's another update needed. Another update needed. Here a little bit. There a little bit. And so often, that's how we view our new life in Christ. And that's certainly what New Year's resolutions come down to, really. Uh, it's trying another update. Another attempt at improving what really is the same basic version of ourselves. And that's a lot of how we spend our life. A lot of the ways we spend our energy is that. It's trying to make a little update here and a little update there. But overall, we stay the same. It's the same basic version of ourself. But church, listen to me on this. That is not what being a Christian is about. It's not what being a Christian is about. That's not what Jesus came to earth and died on a cross to do. He doesn't desire to just give you and me little tiny updates here and there that really leave you and leave me mostly the same as we've always been. That's not what he desires to do. That's not why he came here. That's not why he went to the cross. He came to make you new. And he wants to completely rewrite our software. You with me? He wants to completely rewrite the software. He introduces a whole new operating system, a total renovation. That's what Jesus does. That's what he offers, and that's what he desires for us. So when we commit our lives to him, he doesn't just make us a slightly improved version of the person we were before coming to him. No, he makes a completely new creation, a new person, one that is actually able to be like him. Because before coming to Christ, 
you're not able to be like Christ. Makes sense, right? I mean, that's, that's fairly logical. Before coming to Christ, you have no ability to be like Christ. So what Jesus does through his salvation, through his work on the cross, when we accept that, is he enables us, he empowers us, gives us the ability to actually be like him. And one that will continually be like him the longer we walk with him, the more we yield our our life to him, the more we yield to his work in our life. That's what he desires to do. That's what he wants your new year to be like and what he wants your new year to be about in every day in your life. I hope you want that too. I hope that's your desire. And it's possible. It's possible. So remember you've been made new today if you are in Jesus Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 gives us what I think is the most powerful, hope-filled statement to that effect in all the Bible. Love this verse. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Paul says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and that's the key, you belong to Christ, you've committed your life to him, he is your Lord and your Savior personally, he's not just some historical or spiritual figure, he's not just some fact on a page, he's your personal Lord and Savior. If that's true of you, then Paul says, he or you is a new creation. The old has passed away. It's died. It's gone. It's no longer a factor. The old has passed away. Behold, or look, see, the new has come. That's the beautiful truth of the gospel, church. That Jesus Christ came to save you from your sins that crippled you, that kept you from a relationship with God, that kept you under the judgment and wrath of God rather than his love and his favor. But it wasn't just that. What the Lord Jesus Christ did also made you new and free, gave you a new identity, a new name, a new purpose, and it's available to you each and every day. And that's great truth, right? That's a great promise. It's a powerful reality. But there's a couple implications of that truth that we need to understand and we need to apply in our lives. A couple implications off of that truth. And the first implication of that truth that I want you to make sure you understand, that you believe, that you apply, is this. Because you are new in Christ, Christian, don't be defined or driven by your past. Did you hear me? Don't be defined or driven by your past. If you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you need to believe and apply promises like that of John 8.36, which says this, If the Son, Jesus, has set you free, you will be free indeed. That's a fact. It's definitive. Saying you're not going to just possibly be free. You're not going to be free in some ways, but not in other ways. That indeed, that's emphatic, that's total. It's, it means you will be free completely and constantly. That's the great news of the gospel. So 
if you've embraced that, if you've accepted that, then you need to believe that God's grace and ability to make you completely new through His Son, Jesus, is, listen to me, you have to believe that that's more powerful than your past. No matter how bad your past might be. And there's some of you who might be sitting here saying, yeah, that's all good and well, that sounds great, Pastor. That's, that's really good sounding, and I want to believe that. But you don't know me, and you don't know my past. Not really. You don't know how bad I've been. You don't know how dark my past is. You don't know how full of disastrous choices and mistakes and sins and failures my past is. That's a nice concept, but I just don't know if I can get there. I don't know if I can believe that that includes me. Maybe that's you today. Some of you. And if so, you're right. I I don't know most of you that well, that intimately. And even if, even if I did know you that well, that doesn't mean I'm going to know all about your past. That's just, that's just not possible for anyone. So you might be right. You might be here and truly you do have a past that would make just about anyone blush. And maybe it's hard for you to include yourself in that anyone. Anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. Maybe just that's just something that's just a block for you. You just can't get there and you think, yeah, that's true for everyone else, but it, it can't be true of me. There's just no way. If that's you, then I would encourage you to think about this. The Bible, God's Word, is full of example after example from cover to cover of humans that were total, absolute screw-ups and royal messes and made a mess of their life and others around them. The Bible's full of example after example after example of that. But what is also true of those examples is that God overcame their past. And I can't think of a better, more powerful example of that than the Apostle Paul. You know, the Apostle Paul, who before he was the Apostle Paul, he was the Pharisee Saul. Saul, the religious terrorist, who made it his personal mission to God to stamp out Christianity. To, to totally extinguish this new thing called the way, Christianity. To exterminate the church. And he was so good at it, he almost succeeded. I mean, he was right there. He went everywhere. Every time he heard that there might be a collection of believers in this way who named the name of Jesus, a name which he hated, every time he heard about it, it didn't matter where they were, he was going to go after him. He was a hunter. And he dragged people out of their homes and out of their places of business, men and women alike. And he threw them in prison for torture or for worse, all because they named the name of Christ as Savior and Lord. And he was on his way to Damascus to do the same thing there that he had done in Jerusalem and other places when he met Jesus. And he was literally knocked off his feet. And instead of judgment and wrath and punishment for all the persecuting he had been doing, he received grace and he received mercy and he was made new, completely new. And God, through Christ, took this terrorist, this persecutor of the church, 
And he changed him and he made him a champion of the church. One who grew the church really more than anyone in his day and in his circles. He took the gospel to the known world of his day. And he is responsible for a huge portion of what we have as the New Testament. So if you have that question, does that mean me too? Am I part of the anyone? Anyone that's in Christ is a new creation? The old has passed away. All things have become new. Am I, can I really be part of that? A good answer to your question is the Apostle Paul, who would stand up and say, Hello, <laughs> yep, if Jesus Christ could make me new, there's no one who could not be made new, is what Paul would say. You need to believe that. You need to believe that what happened to Paul and others, both historically and right now in the present, can absolutely happen to you. And if you've come to Christ, they have happened to you. Because that, that thing about being made new and the new coming, 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about, the new has come, that means it's a done deal. It's present. It's active. You don't have to wait for newness of life. It's yours through Christ Jesus. I finally saw the new Star Wars movie. Finally saw it. Took me a while, but I saw it. I loved it. I loved it. I know that's up for debate. Some people love it. Some people hate it. They say, oh, this isn't my Star Wars. You know, and they didn't really like it. I was into it. I really liked the movie. And part of what I liked the most was this one statement. And it came from an unlikely source because this wisdom actually came from the villain of the story, Kylo Ren, the bad guy. And what he says to the heroine of the story, Ray. Uh, man, it's just full of, of great truth. And it's not always able to be applied, I don't think, to every situation. It's not going to fit every context, but it certainly fits what we're talking about here. It certainly fits talking about being made new and, and the past being gone and being, being away from us through Christ. Here's what Kylo Ren had to say. I love this statement. Let the past die. Kill it if you have to. That's the only way to become what you are meant to be. Isn't that true? So if you are here and you're struggling with your past, the darkness of it, the magnitude of it, if you're struggling with guilt that the enemy is using to keep you down, to keep you from going forward for Christ like you're called to, I want you to know something. It's it's really along with what the statement says the death that Jesus Christ died for you and me on the, on the cross is sufficient and strong enough to put your past to death too do you believe that the death that Christ died on the cross is strong enough and sufficient enough to put your past to death no matter what it might be And his resurrection from the grave is powerful enough to give the worst of sinners a new, clean, fresh start and heart. And to not embrace that truth and to not believe that with your whole heart and to go forward in that is really to say to God, that you just don't believe the sacrifice of his son is strong enough for you. 
it's really a pride thing. It's saying, I'm too great a sinner for Christ to reach. It's really blasphemy. And listen to me, everyone. The Son of God paid too high a price for your new life and your freedom for you to stay stuck in reverse. You need to hear that. You need to believe that. We all do. We need that reminder from time to time because the enemy loves, the enemy loves to bring our past back and to hold it over our head. So you remember? Do you remember? What you were, what you said, what you did, what you caused? Boy, I don't know how you can be okay with being in church and I don't know how you can be okay with thinking that God's going to use you. I mean, you. It's lies. It's lies. Our Father doesn't deal in guilt. He deals in conviction. He'll let you know when you're wrong. He'll let you know by His Spirit, if you're in Christ, when you have sin in your life, and He'll convict you and He'll lead you to repentance. But once you have repented, He doesn't bring guilt and say, look at this. I want you to think about this. Remember this. He doesn't just bring it up over and over and over again. That's the tactic of the enemy. You need to recognize it as that and reject it accordingly. Because if you are in Christ, you've been set free. If, if you have been set free by the Son, then you have been set free indeed. And here's the second implication. That's the first implication, to not be defined or driven by your past in light of the fact that you've been made new in Christ and what that cost Him to do for you. So that's the first implication. Here's the second implication of that truth. We have a responsibility... We have a responsibility to Jesus in response to being made new by him. We have a responsibility. Unfortunately, it's all too easy for us to take the newness of life and the freedom that we've been given by Christ and make it all about us, to use it selfishly for ourselves. But we need to remember, all of us, that it's not about us. It's not about us. Our new life, our freedom that we've been given, it's really all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all so that we can actually choose to fully give ourselves to him and to fully live for him in response to the fact that he gave himself fully for us, even though we could never deserve it. You see, because we will always, I don't care how long you've walked with Christ, I don't care how long you've been part of the Christian world, I don't care how many scriptures you know and how much songs you can sing and how long you pray, we will always, all of us, be naturally unlovable. Yet He loves us sacrificially and unconditionally. We will always naturally have nothing to offer him but weakness and failure. That's true of all of us. Yet he offers his righteousness and strength. Can someone like show some excitement about that? I mean, man, I know it's cold, but that should light a fire in your heart, people. Come on. Let me hear an amen or something to that. This is not just me making this up. This is the very truth of God. He offers His righteousness. Christ, our Savior, offers His righteousness and strength to us moment after moment, even though all we offer Him is 
just perpetual weakness and failure. And so what that means is that being made new and free, which we all are through Jesus Christ, being made new and free is not without responsibility. And to put it in a very simple, easy to understand, easy to remember way, what that means for us is that being made new in Christ equals living for Christ. Being made new in Christ equals living for Christ. That's the only fitting response. When we realize, we understand, and we accept the fact that we have been made new in Christ, and we receive His, His newness, and we receive all the work that he, he has made possible and that He wants to do in our lives, when we understand and we fathom what that means and what that cost Him, the only response is that we would live for Him and Him alone, Him fully. And that also means that freedom through Christ, which He gives and He offers, freedom through Christ equals surrender to Christ. So being made new in Christ equals living for Christ, and freedom through Christ equals surrender to Christ. Not only do I I live for Him, but I realize and I recognize and And I joyfully embrace the fact that all I have, every fiber of my being, everything I possess, my talents, my gifts, my goals, my dreams, my ambitions, all of it needs to be laid down at the feet of the one who gave ultimate freedom to me. And he paid for it by going to the cross. So my only response, and your only response that is fitting, that's proper, is total Continual surrender. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans 12.1 when he said, Oh, brethren, I beg you, I beseech you, in light of the, the mercies of God, present your bodies, that's your whole person, your whole self, all that you have, all that you own, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Perpetual, continual. It's your reasonable service, he said. And that's why... Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said this in Romans 6, 1 through 4. He says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound, that grace may just increase and multiply? By no means. Or other translations say, God forbid. May it never be so. How can we who died to sin through Christ still live in it? It's a good question, right? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's what we saw a picture of today. That's what Shana obeyed. The picture and the the symbol and the the step of obedience in that way. She, She symbolized, she pictured for us, she reminded us of the fact that in Christ we have been united with him in his death. We've been baptized into his death. That's what is is pictured when we put the, the person under the water. It's symbolizing, it's picturing, it's announcing. I am uniting with Christ in his death. I am dying to myself. I'm dying to sin. I am following Jesus Christ. And I'm aligning myself with all that he did. That's what going into the water pictures. Then Paul continues, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, the purpose being, 
Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And that's, again, what baptism pictures. As Shana came back up out of that water, it's picturing, I have followed Christ, I've committed my life to Him, therefore I have died to myself, I'm not the same person anymore, that person is dead, it's gone. And as Christ was raised from the dead, as I come back up out of this water, I'm picturing the, the spiritual reality that I too have been raised to new life and I am a new creation. Is that true of you this morning? Is that your story? Is that your testimony? If so, praise God for raising you from the dead. Because that's what salvation is. And the result of that, the purpose of that, is so that we too might walk in newness of life. And in 2 Corinthians 5.15, Paul says this, And he, speaking of Jesus, died for all so that those who live might or should no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It's for my sake, because of my sin, that Jesus died. And it's for my sake that he was raised to give me justification before the Father, to give me new life to give me a new identity, to give me a new name and a new calling and a new purpose. And that's the story that Paul proclaimed everywhere he went and he couldn't get over it. And that's your story too if you are in Christ Jesus. It's your story. It needs to be celebrated. It needs to be remembered. It needs to be believed. It needs to be recalled. And it needs to be proclaimed if that's true of you. Some pretty great truth, right? Some pretty powerful realities there. That's what I want us to focus on in this new year. The fact that in Jesus Christ, we've been made completely new. And it's not a one-time thing. It's over and over. And we've heard now the implications of that. That because of that, we need to not be defined or driven by our past. And the other implication of that is that we give ourselves to Him, that we choose to live fully for Him, and we choose to surrender fully to Him in light of all that He's done for us. And as great as that is, and as necessary as those implications are to apply to our lives, the natural, understandable question is, how? Right? The question is, okay, that, that's great, I agree with that. I hear that. That's wonderful. But how do I actually apply that to my life? How do I actually do this? I have really good news for you. It's, it's far more simple than we might think or try to make it. To do this, to, to live this way, like I've been talking about with you here, we don't need to ask God to give us any more than he already has. Because if Jesus is our personal Lord and Savior, then, then listen, church, He's already given us the very power of God through the Spirit of God. You have all the power and all the ability that you could ever need or want in the Spirit. 
You don't need more of the Spirit. You don't need to pray, oh God, give me more of the Spirit. I just need more of the Spirit. You'll, you'll hear that from time to time in various circles and various belief systems. Oh, I just need more of the Spirit. No, you have all the Spirit at the moment of your salvation that you will ever need. The Spirit of God needs more of you. You need to surrender fully, not hold anything back to Him. You need to yield completely to His work in your life. 2 Peter 1.3 speaks to that effect, where we hear this. His, speaking of God, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. That's great. That's pretty awesome right there. And Galatians 5.16, Paul there says, I say then, walk by the Spirit. That's, that's intentional Deliberate dependence on the Spirit. That's surrendering to Him. That's, that's walking every moment and in every way with Him. Paul says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and here's the promise. It's great. And you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. There's your answer. It's not just trying harder, doing more, making more resolutions. It's saying to the Holy Spirit of God, I need you. It's praying, Holy Spirit, I know that I have received in you all that I need for a life that is committed to Christ, a life that I'm called to live, everything I need for righteousness and godliness. Holy Spirit, I know you've given it to me, but I can't walk in that way. I can't live that way on my own. I just don't have the power So please, Holy Spirit, every moment, empower me in that way. Empower me to not be defined or driven by my past. Holy Spirit, empower me to live fully for Jesus. Empower me to give all that I am and all that I have in surrender to him fully in response to him making me new. Holy Spirit, help me to remember I've been made new. Help me to live in response to that. And brothers and sisters, when we pray that way, when we ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to be yielded to Him and His work in us, nothing makes Him happier. And nothing will bring Him more delight than to grant that request, which He will every time, moment by moment by moment. So, that's the way we need to pray. And that's the way we need to proceed. Remember, you've been made new if you are in Christ. Let's pray. We've already seen a baptism today. What a great way to start off the new year. Awesome. Fresh life on display. Not because that's what the baptism waters did, but because our sister, Shana, already committed her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was just a public statement of, of that spiritual reality and truth. And as great as that was, you know what would make this new year and the start of our year even better? Is for someone to give their life for the first time to the Lord Jesus Christ. To receive new life today for the first time where there was not new life before. It's only possible through Jesus. 
but it's available to everyone who comes to Jesus. So my question is, if there's anyone here today that is not in Christ, he's not your Savior and your Lord, you don't belong to him, what are you waiting for? (laughs) There's no greater gift. There's no other source of life. There's no other sustained hope. There's no other constant joy apart from salvation through the Lord Jesus. And if your answer for not coming to him has been because you just don't think he's powerful enough to save even you because you just, oh, pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know who I've been. You don't know what I am right now. You're right, I don't. But I mean, I, with all due respect, I just shot all those excuses out of the water today. So you're really without excuse, which is a very freeing thing. So if you're here today, and you're in these chairs, but you're not in Christ, don't stay that way. Not for another minute. Give yourself fully to Him now, and receive that amazing, beautiful, powerful grace and new life that He desires to give you, and that He will be faithful to give you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the church of your son, Jesus, that we have been graciously, undeservingly made part of. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son, making new life possible for us. And I pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself that we would truly remember moment after moment that we've been made new and that we would Remember those implications of that, that wonderful truth, that fact. And that we will, by your Spirit's power, apply the new life of Jesus to our lives every single day. And that we will apply the responsibility we have in response to every thought, every word, every decision, every action. Empower us in this way, please. And I pray all of these things with praise in Jesus' name. Amen.